seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about distractions. Distractions. There's, as I said earlier, there's forces at work today that are going against the freedom that we have to worship God right here in America. Some would just say, well, that's just in California, but what can be done there will one day be done here. What is done to one will be done to all. We see a spirit of the Antichrist that is at work today like never before. Apparent that you can see. It's all around us. What once was done in darkness is now being done in the day, in the middle of the streets without shame and without fear. These spirits used to work slowly to change things. They would change things subtly behind closed doors and many times we would not even understand or know that it had happened until it was too late. But now these spirits are working quickly and in the open. And the thing that are being talked about seem to be so outrageous that who could believe that it could ever happen or come to pass in America. Many continue to even vote for a platform that is Antichrist gender, believing that what they are saying is impossible for it to ever come to pass. But who would have ever thought that it would be okay to kill babies that are born. Amen. They call it partial birth abortion. Huh? When just a portion remains and, and yet you kill it and we call it partial birth abortion so that we don't have to call it murder. Who would have thought the family would have been anything in America but the one man and one woman coming together in union, just like the Bible said? Who could imagine that preachers are being put in jail in America for preaching the gospel? If somebody would have told us these, some of these things that are taking place in our nation today, even six months ago, we would have laughed with a great belly laugh and said, you're crazy. But the reality of it is, is that it is upon us. And now we see that it is though that uh, we are looking at things that we thought were impossible have now become possible and even are at work in our country. I was asked about our governmental leaders, how educated people could act such, as such fools. There is only one answer that I believe that I have for that, and that is that, that there is no way that such educated and, and people of, of ability and wisdom and, and talent and all of that could act uh, as so foolish as they are, except that they are under the control of the spirit of an antichrist. As a result of what we are seeing today, men's hearts are failing them. Hopelessness is set in upon our nation. People do not believe that they can make it anymore. People see no hope. They see no future. They do not see a brighter day. And therefore, we see that they're taking their own lives. They're, they're going to the extremes because they don't even know who to believe anymore. I said the other day that it should be illegal for, the, for people to get on the news media and spread their propaganda and their lies and suggest that it is truth. Yes. 
It has caused the great fear and great anxiety to come across our nation as never before. And many today are paralyzed by a spirit of fear. I've shared with you from this pulpit what I know I haven't learned from CNN, Fox News, or any other outlet. I heard it from heaven. Amen. And this is more than a virus. It's a spirit. It's a spirit that has come and with it becomes a spirit of distraction. It is a spirit that comes to try to distract us from what the main thing really is and what is important in our lives. And the, what is important in our lives is that we are living our lives for Christ. At some point in our this journey that we are now presently on, I don't know what the outcome of all of these things will be, but this is one thing I do know, that, that there is coming a separation from the wheat and the tare. There is coming a separation from the goats and the sheep. There is coming a separation from the real church and the fake church. There is a separation that is taking place and it will come in the divide and we have to make up our minds if what we're going to do. Are we going to give in to propaganda? Are we going to give in to a governmental structure that is anti-Christ? Or are we going to serve the Lord even if it costs us our lives? You see, I know that some people have brought up this Romans chapter 13. I think I unpacked it the other week, but Romans 13 has nothing to do with governmental law. You look at Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 14 and put it in context. Chapter 13, it is talking about a, a, a government that is set up within the church and we are to honor and we are to respect and we are to revere and the blessing of God will come upon us. Now, it does not mean that we do not honor government, but that, that scripture does, has nothing to do with governmental authority. It is all about spiritual authority. And we're, we can, are coming into a season and into a time. It seems unbelievable, but I believe that it is true when we are going to have to decide whether we're going to serve God or we're going to serve government. And we've got to have something solid. You've got to have a bedrock. You've got to know God. Amen. You've got to know God. When you start talking about being led to the chopping block like Paul was, you, you, you see, uh, <clears throat> the American church is nothing like what God ever intended for it to be. We talk about the heroes of faith and we preach about the heroes of faith that are in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews and we talk about all of those who overcome, all of those who got victory. But did you read on in the chapter <laughs> where they were sawed asunder? Where the, and, he, and he gives all of these scenarios of all of these who have died and he said they were in the faith yet never receiving the promise. Come on. But they believed in the gospel. They believed in Jesus. They believed in the kingdom. Just like all of these others that had visible victory, they too were living in the faith but never seeing the fulfillment of the promise. That's the kind of faith that you and I are going to have to have in these last days. We're going to have to know that we are saved for real. Not just talking about it, not just church attendance, not just that's all well, that's all good, that's part of it. But you've got to have a knowing in your knower that you are saved and nothing is going to move you from that. Amen. And so with I'm talking about distractions today, I want to look at the kind of, of salvation, the kind of relationship that I, I'm talking about here this morning. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, my little children, these things I write to you so that uh, 
you may not sin. And if, say if, and if anyone sins, and if anyone sins, not that we go out doing whatever we want to do and then we run back to God, and, but if we do sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, he's the sacrifice. He's the blood, blood uh, not the blood covering, but he forgives us. Our sins are washed away. Propitiation is an old, old covenant term, but it, we find it here in the New Testament, but he's talking about a, 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 not just a covering, but a removing of our sins, right? And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Glory to God. So the sacrifice for our sins before we got saved is the same sacrifice for our sins after we got saved. Amen. In other words, because I sin, God doesn't look at me as a lesser vessel or God doesn't change his mind about me and using me in his kingdom. The same blood that saved me before I came to him is the same blood that washes away my sins after I come to him. Amen. Because here's the reality of it. Uh, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many have come sin and come short of the glory of God since you've been saved? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. If we were all honest up in here today, we would all say yes. So don't you don't have to raise your hands, but but thank God that once if we if we do sin. We have that advocate with the Father and the same blood that brought me into the kingdom is the same blood that washes away the sin if I do sin. So that I'm not a lesser person. God doesn't look at me and say, oh, put him on third row. Oh, I couldn't use him for this because of that. But it, he washes my sins away. Amen. And when we repent, he restores us completely. And God doesn't change his purpose because of our past. Peter denied Jesus, repented, and God used him to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Amen. 3,000 people were saved. Then he, he preaches again. If you read on, he preaches again. And the next day, 5,000 come into the kingdom. And so God uses him in a great and a mighty way. We, ha we have been made justified by his grace. We are sanctified that God is by his grace making us holy. That's what sanctification is. God is making us holy by his grace. Sanctification means to be set apart. We are committed to Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen. Amen. We are committed to Jesus Christ and him alone. Our whole relationship with God is about love. He loved us. We love him. And as a result, we can love others. Amen. We are living in times when there is a spirit of deception upon us and we must be like Daniel. We must be like the Hebrew boys. We've got to commit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Now I want to go to verse 15, if you will, please. Michaela. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen? Amen. So, 
In other words, everything that I desire and I hunger for can be found in the presence of God. I don't have to go out into etern- the, the world to find things. I don't have to go into the world to fulfill the desires of my heart. And I'm not talking about the world as the, it, it, it relates to the natural world. I'm talking about the world system. Amen. He said, if you love that, then you, the love of God is not in you. Let's go to verse 29, please. I'm going to teach a little bit today. Is that okay? If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who participates, practices righteousness is born of him. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Amen. The grace of God is not uh, some kind of special permission or exemption. Grace is the power of Jesus Christ that is given to us by the Holy Spirit and it changes us from the inside out. And then it empowers us to live victorious in Jesus Christ. The gospel talks about the grace as it was upon and in Jesus. We've got to Practice righteousness. That means you're living a righteous life, right? And we see that that grace of God was upon Jesus. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Luke 2, verse 40. And the child grew, speaking of Jesus, and became strong in the spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The grace of God was upon him. Jesus is not in the role of God while he is here on the earth. He he has set his divinity aside and now he has taken on the form of a man and while he is 100% God, yet he is 100% man and while he is here on the earth, he is not operating with, with godly powers. He is not moving as God, but he is moving as a man. He is here working in the earth as a man, and Jesus as a man is fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He is fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to be able to model 100% obedience. He's the only one who ever was able to model 100% total obedience. How did he do that? Not because he was the son of God, but because he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the grace of God being upon his life. So why did God give grace to Jesus? Jesus didn't need to be saved, right? But Jesus did need grace to live a victorious life over the enemy. Because he was being tempted like as you and I are, yet without sin. Amen. And so he was in this realm, he was walking in this realm, he, he, he faced everything you and I are facing. He was tempted like you and I were tempted, but he had 100% obedience because he leaned in on the Holy Spirit and depended upon this grace that Father God gave him that he could overcome the enemy. Grace is the power, it is the strength, it is the divine ability given to a man to work and be successful in God's kingdom. It, grace is what gives you the ability to fulfill your divine purpose and call that God has placed you in his kingdom for. Jesus was a man and divine empowerment, he was living was divine empowerment was living on the inside of him. This gave him the ability to live a life of 100% obedience. 
It wasn't that he was the son of God. It was this grace living in him, the Holy Spirit in him, that gave him the strength to say, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. When Jesus fulfilled this, his purpose on the cross, amen, he, when he fulfilled his assignment, he went back to heaven and by, the Bible says he sent the Holy Spirit to you and me, right? Can we agree about that? He came, he lived, he died, he was uh, he, was, he was put upon a cross. He was put into a tomb. On, after three days in the tomb, he resurrects with resurrection power. He's seen in the city 40 days. He is walking around. And then he goes and now he ascends back to the Father. And he sits on the right hand of Father God. And he's making intercession. And since he is now there, he sends the Holy Spirit back to you and I. Amen. Now I want to look at this, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. This is Zechariah prophesying about the church, the New Testament church, right? Jerusalem. He's speaking to them about when he, when he comes and he begins to release to them. And he said, I'm going to give them the spirit of grace and supplication. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Can you see that? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Now Hebrews chapter 10. Because someone would say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, there's a scarlet thread when it's a truth that runs through the entire book. And so Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who was trampled on the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. And insulted the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace is the Holy Spirit. The gospel talk about the grace, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about this grace being upon Jesus. Jesus died for us. He shed his blood. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he sends back to us the spirit of grace. And now the same spirit, this is what I want you to hear. The same spirit of grace that was upon the man Jesus Christ to have 100% obedience to the Father. Now that same grace is now upon you and me. The spirit of grace empowers us. Empowers us to live godly life. To do the work of the kingdom of God. Amen. And so the God gives us this grace. He gives us this power. This grace is power. And he gives us this power to live a godly life. Now... Paul warns us of, of the danger of mixing the law and the grace together. He said, you're going to get yourself in trouble. It's going to be worse than it's ever been. The law has been fulfilled. That does not mean that the, when Jesus came, the law was fulfilled. It doesn't mean that the law was done away with. It means there's no need for it anymore. It's fulfilled. It's finished. It's done. Don't mess with it. Because now grace has come. Amen. There's a better covenant. There's a better way. And so, and some would argue with that. But when you look at the Old Testament, you look at Abraham, you look at Moses, you look at David. All of these were under the law and you find sin in all of their lives. No matter how hard they tried... They were not able to, to, to overcome the sin or the temptation that would come into their lives. Abraham, the father of the faith, 
and yet he lied. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. And then killed Uriah to cover it up. Amen. These were men under the law. But when you look, when the Holy Spirit came into the New Testament, the Spirit of grace came, and you look at, you look at the disciples, you look at James, you look at John, you look at Matthew, and you don't see that in their lives no more. They're not in and out. They're not lying. They're not murdering. Huh? They're under this new covenant. They're under this, 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 hallelujah. They're under this spirit of grace that gives them power to overcome the temptations of their life. Amen. The people living under grace lived more holy than the ones that lived under the law. The law is external. It's always making demands that there is no strength for you to be able to produce. But the grace of God is an eternal strength on the inside of you that is empowering you to live the life that God has called you to live. Amen. You see, grace empowers us. Grace strengthens us. It's not, it's not something that we, grace does not come so that we can have a, 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 a something to say, well, this, I, don't, I can do this and I can do that. No, grace stands up on the inside of us and says, I will not do that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8 and 9, maybe 10. He said, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of, of the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who uh, worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and uh, Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace that had been given to me, they gave me uh, and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they and to the circumcised. Amen. What I want you to see here is, is Paul receives this grace. He receives the grace to go to the Gentiles being uncircumcised. He, he receives a grace to go and preach the same gospel, right? And he gets the same results as those who were circumcised. He said, they seen this grace working in me. And they recognized it was the same grace working in them. And so he said, they gave me the right hand. Of, they said, go, Paul, and preach to the uncircumcised and share this grace, this strength of God. And so Paul had been given the power to be an apostle to the Gentiles and it, that, that was given to him through the power of grace. Grace is the divine empowerment or working on the inside of you to be able to fulfill your purpose, your calling, your mandate in the kingdom of God. Yes. So let me say this again. Grace is not permission. Grace is power. Grace is power for me to live right. Amen. There's a whole lot of people today worried about the mark of the beast. There's a lot of people leaning in, people that you've never heard talk about God or looking and concerned and interested. Uh, and, and, and many today are talking about the mark of the beast and they're talking about all of these different things and it's good to have a, 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 a discussion about it. But, but my question, you know, they're saying, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? My question is, when, what are we going to do about living right? Amen. Let's just try living right. Amen. Amen. 
you live right, I don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. If I'm living right, I'm in right standings with God. The grace of God is going to be upon my life and it's going to give me a power to live victorious. Amen? And you and I can receive this power today. Many are dealing with addictions and struggle with uh, habitual sins that come up in their life. They, they've overcome them for a season, for a moment, and, and yet they find themselves doing what they said they would never do again. And, and I tell you today that, that the power of God and grace of God that comes upon your life will give you the strength to overcome every addiction and every mindset that the enemy will ever bring against your life. Amen. Grace breaks the power of sin off of you. Amen. It breaks the power of sin off of you. It's broken. And you now live a life unto God. The enemy wants you to believe. <laughs> the enemy wants you to believe you're just a weak Christian. Oh, I'm just weak. I'm just a weak Christian and I'll not be able to do it. I, I, I try, I try, but I just, it just comes up and then I'm so weak. I'm just so weak, I can't do it, I can't overcome it. Who told you you were weak? Who told you, oh, it's just the flesh, and oh, the flesh is just so strong, and I'm so weak, and I just can't overcome it, and I just can't deal with it, I just give in to it, because I'm so weak, I'm a weak Christian. No! No, you're not. No, you're strong in the Lord. You're strong in the Spirit. Amen. You have the grace of God upon your life. And in that grace, there is a strength for you to live victorious in every arena of your life. Glory to God. Amen. But you see, the truth of it is, is most people let one thing keep tripping them up all of their life. One temptation, one desire, one little thing that keeps on showing itself up and we never stand up to it. We never allow grace to open, answer the door. We never allow the strength of God to go. And so we give in to this mindset. If you ever give in to that mindset that you're just a weak Christian, you will always fail. But the moment that you accept and you receive the grace of God, the strength of God, hallelujah, his power in your life, amen, that thing comes knocking again, amen, that, uh, that addiction comes knocking again, that pornography comes knocking again, those desires come knocking again, that grace will stand up on the inside of you and say, no, I'm not going down that path again. I'm not allowing that into my life again. The greater one lives on the inside of me and Mr. Devil I'm not just a weak Christian I'm strong in the Lord I'm powerful in the spirit and I overcome glory to God amen the grace of God gives you the power to overcome hallelujah now I'm telling you that's good news I said that's good news 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called the apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God, I am what I am in his grace. Toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Amen. He said, I, I wasn't worthy of it. I didn't get it because I was worthy. I got it because God blessed me. The grace was upon my life, right? 
And he said, because the grace of God was upon my life, he said, I did more. I went further. I preached more. I wrote more than anyone else. The grace that came upon Paul's life didn't give him a, 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 a permission to sit down and be satisfied. The grace that came upon Paul's life energized him. He was like the energizer bunny. He never stopped. He went further. He did more. He preached longer. He wrote more. He, he, this grace of God came upon Paul and it gave him the strength and the ability to accomplish more than, than, than any of the others. Amen. And he said, I wasn't worthy of it. But when this grace came on me, glory to God. When this spirit of grace came upon me, he said, I was able, he said, look, he said, I caused the church to weep and even to, even to reject God. He said, I've done horrible things to the church. He said, it's not because I've been right. Let me tell you, you can't be right enough. Oh, I just got to do more. I got to do more. I got to know that that's the law. I got to work harder. Got to work harder. Got to do more. Got to do more. No, it's not in yourself. It is in the spirit. Paul wasn't working in the flesh. He was working in the spirit. And this, out of this spirit of grace that was on the inside of him, he accomplished more than most of the other disciples because he understood something that they did not understand. And that was that this spirit of grace that had come upon him enabled him, empowered him, and energized him. I'm praying today that the spirit of grace come upon the American church like a wet blanket. <laughs> Amen. Calls us to have energy. Calls us to rise up. Calls us to do a thing in this hour. Amen. Not set by idly and be satisfied with, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes, I'm looking forward to his return. But I tell you more than that, what I'm looking forward to is the church being energized by the spirit of grace. Where we rise up and we begin to take our cities back and take our communities back and take our sons and daughters back to the house of God and the presence of God being real and the baptism of the Holy Spirit being effective in our lives. I'm telling you today, we need an energizing spirit to come where we don't set lethargic through worship, where we don't come passively to the church, but we come with energy, we come with strength, we come with power, we come with might, we come with a hunger and say, God, we're ready to receive what you have for us. Amen. Glory to God. Well, I know I'm more excited about it than you are, but you'll catch it. Amen. Isaiah gives us this prophecy about the New Testament church in Isaiah 45 and verse 24. He prophesies about these New Testament believers. He, he shall say, surely the Lord I have righteousness and strength to him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who who are uh, incensed against him but I want to part a of that and he shall say surely the Lord in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. I am righteous not because of what I do, but because of my position. Amen. If I can do it by works, then there's no need for Jesus to come. But because I am righteous, I've been, the Bible said I've been made righteous, right? He made me righteous the day that I took his name. I accepted him as Savior and Lord of my life. He made me righteous. 
And because of the position that I am in Christ, not only did he make me righteous, but he added with righteousness the strength of God came with it. So being righteous is not a weak condition. Being righteous is not a weak condition. It is a place of strength and a place of power. It isn't a, oh, weak little me. Oh, poor little me. If you are the righteousness of Christ, with righteousness came God's strength. Came his power that you can do all, be all, and accomplish all that God has ever intended for your destiny and purpose. Amen? When Jesus came into my life, he made me righteous and gave me strength. What was the strength for? To live a godly life. Amen? Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're strong in the Lord. God's grace and his righteousness has made you strong. We know that we're saved, but still believe the lie that we're weak and surrender to sin. Amen. It's like this news media. They tell you something long enough and you listen to it long enough, you start believing it even though you know it can't be true. I personally know because of things that they have said on the news, I've, it's been a few months now since I've even listened to the mess because it's polluted. But I know personally, before I quit listening to it, I heard them tell, tell something, and I personally knew that it wasn't true because I'd been there myself. i seen for myself, and I knew what they were telling was a lie. As long as you keep your ears open to the enemy, he'll keep feeding you the lie. He'll keep telling you you're little, you're nothing, you're weak. You can't do it. You can't stand. You can't serve God. You can't live right. You, you, just, you, just, you just do a little, you do a little over here and, and it won't matter. No, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Amen. In other words, you put, you put the leaven in the bread. You just put a little leaven over here in the bread. It gets in the whole loaf. Well, I, I'm just, pastor, I know, but I just can't help it. I've just got this little, little sin that I keep on doing. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I just can't, I can't win over it. I can't, I can't win over it. And, and, and you know, I just think it'll, somehow it'll be all right. Well, how about we put just a little bit of strychnine in your biscuits? Won't hurt just a little bit. Huh? When you look at it that way, what are you saying? You, th you saying you're perfect? You saying you're all that? No. I'm telling you by God's grace and his power, by his strength, by his righteousness, we can be all, do all, and accomplish all that God, and you don't have to give in to a spirit that comes to tell you you're just a weak little somebody and, and you can't make it. The devil is a liar. Amen. You can make it and you can overcome every temptation of the enemy. Amen. Yes. Psalms 27 and 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. And whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 54 and 1. In righteousness you shall be established. Huh? Now... What does that mean? Righteousness, you shall be established. 
I believe that what this is talking about here, this you, you have righteousness, but now he's talking about being established in righteousness. I, I, I just, my two cents here is, is I believe that he is talking about we are matured in this thing. It's got in us. Huh? We're starting, we, we now, we don't just think we're righteous, we know we're righteous. We know that the spirit of grace is upon our life and we're established in this. And we're not going to be moved. Amen? We're not going to be moved. We're not going to allow anything to sway us because this is the bedrock. This is what, this is the roots. This is the foundation. This is where we live our life and we're established in righteousness. Amen? And watch this. Whenever you get established in righteousness, what happens then? And you shall be far from the oppressor. You shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear the terror, or you shall not fear and, and from the terror, and you shall not come near you. You shall be far from the oppression. The fear of the terror shall not come near you. Oh, if there was a message that needs to be hurled over American church today, it's this. Do not allow the spirit of fear to stop us and paralyze us. You shall be far from the oppression. What does that mean? That means... That the enemy isn't nowhere close to you. There's some people, they see devils every day. There's a booger behind every bush. And one laying under every tree. Huh? I remember preaching revival. And this lady every night, she'd come in. She'd say, oh, do you see that devil? Do you see that devil? Come up to me after church. Did you see that devil? And I said, no, I didn't see no devil. She come up the next night. Oh, did you see that devil? I said, no, I didn't see that devil. So the third night she come and here she come and I done made up my mind. I was going to give her, tell her something. And uh, she said, oh, did you see that devil tonight? He was real big. I said, no, I was too busy looking at those angels. Some people's focus, all they see is devils and demons. Devil, 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 and devil, 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 and demons, demons, demons. Well, you, whatever you focus on is where you're going to go. But my Bible tells me <laughs> that whenever I'm established in righteousness, I look on the radar and there's no devil to be found. I'll even go as far as to say this. According to this scripture, if you're living a life established in righteousness, you can forget about the devil. Oh, brother. No, it's the word. Our problem is this. We're not living in righteousness. We're not established in righteousness. Amen? Established, it, 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 it is a place of claiming your righteousness. I'm living in righteousness. If you're claiming righteousness but not living in, if you're claiming righteousness but you are living unrighteous, your heart will testify against you. When you're living, when you're claiming righteousness and you're not living righteous, you will, you will doubt that God will answer your prayer. You will doubt that God will do a thing. You will doubt that, that God is able and fear will come upon your heart because you, you, you have suggested and we say that we're living righteous but we're actually living unrighteous. Our heart testifies against us and many struggle with righteousness of God and grace of God because they are not living a life of obedience. 
But whenever you've, you've surrendered your heart and your life to God and you're living a life of obedience unto the Lord and you receive and you are now established in righteousness of God, the enemy, the oppression is far. It doesn't mean there isn't a devil. No, 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 there is a devil. But it does mean that the Spirit of God, the grace of God, the strength of God that lives on the inside of you, that on your radar, oppression is far from you. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Far from you. When you embrace God's grace and start living a life of righteousness, you begin to live a life of obedience unto God. When there is no strength, the Holy Spirit boldness will come on the inside of you and give you authority to do the right thing. I'm established in righteousness. The oppression is far from me. <laughs> I don't get up every morning and seeing devils. It's far from me. I get up and I see as far as I can see, I can see goodness and mercy. I see his grace. I see his love. I see his power. I see his spirit. And I say, today we can win this thing. Today we can overcome. <laughs> Amen. I'm almost done. Can you take a couple more? Isaiah 61, verse 3. We're talking about being established in righteousness. The grace, the spirit of grace being upon us. He says here in verse 3, To console those who mourn in Zion, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And this is where I want to get to. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planning of the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. We're established in it. And now he calls us a tree of righteousness. We've been planted by the Lord. Amen. And so I, I'm, I'm in this thing. The spirit of grace has come upon me. It's got inside of me and began to work on the inside out of my life until it begins to change the way I think, begin to change the what I believe, begins to cause me to think that I'm not a weak little Christian anymore, but I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And his grace, the spirit of grace is upon me to be all, do all, and accomplish all that God ever desired for me to do. Glory to God. Right? And then he says, it, because I'm established in righteousness, he calls me a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Two things point, stick out to me here. First of all, a tree has roots. He didn't say that I was the shrub of the Lord. Huh? You can go out there with a, a mattock and pull up a shrub. But if you're going to pull up a tree, you better get yourself a bulldozer. Amen? Come on. It's got deep roots. It's going to stay there. It's going to be held there for a long time. Right? And so that's the first thing that stuck out to me. And then the second thing that stuck out to me is fruit does what? It produces righteousness in you and in me. Because a tree produces fruit after its own kind. Right? I want to look at one more, I think, Romans 6, 22. But now having been set free from sin, the spirit of grace has come, righteousness has come, 
You've been made righteous. And having become slaves or servants of God, you have your fruit of holiness, to holiness and the end everlasting life. You have your fruit. The tree, we're established, because we're established, he calls us a tree. The tree has roots that are down in the ground. And now that tree begins to produce fruit. What is the fruit that it produces? It produces holiness. Holy living. We don't want to talk about it anymore. Huh? Because we got it wrong for so long and people preached on holiness from the law. And if you, you know, you wore dresses and long sleeves and if you looked right and you didn't have no hair on your face. Even a monkey can grow hair, people would say. Huh? That's what they used to preach. That old hair on your face. <sighs> Even a monkey can grow hair. <sighs> and they get on the women about them air bobs and makeup. Huh? You know I'm telling it right. That's going to send you to hell. <sighs> That's right. And that's mean about it. That's mean about it. It's almost like they as happy you was going to hell. And I think I don't I don't think that it was that they were mean, it was just preaching from where they were and where they were they were still they didn't have the revelation of grace yet they didn't have the revelation of what God was doing in, in, in the earth and what he had already done and, and they was preaching from a law and, and how many know that works from the natural will always produce legalism you cannot do this on your own Moses wrote the law and it could, it, it, even, though, even the writer of the law couldn't get into the promised land on it. He couldn't, he couldn't uphold it. He couldn't measure up. He couldn't get it done. And so we had this, all of these things about the, the outward and how that, you know, this would make you holy. And, and then we, we produced people that, that, that wore certain things, you know, wore long sleeves or wore dresses or whatever, but they had a tongue long as their sleeve. And they'd gossip and they'd go around bringing division and all that. And the Bible clearly says, mark them among you who cause division. Amen. And so the long tongue was a lot worse than a short sleeve. Amen. I went in to preach a revival one time. It was in the middle of the summer. They didn't have no air condition. And uh, I, I generally, today, I've got short sleeves, but most of the time I've got long sleeves on, and, and it's just a preference of mine. It don't have nothing to do with being holy. But I had short sleeves on, and I was, isn't, I believe, August, July, August, and, and uh, went in there to the living room is when you stayed with the pastor, and he said, oh, you wearing that to church? I said, yeah, that's what I was planning on. He said, oh, he said, brother, he said, go get your a shirt on. It's got some sleeves. I said, okay, yes, sir. I went and put on a sleeve. I looked at my elbows and said, dear God, somebody lust after that. <laughs> they got some problems. Amen. All the time, trying to do it by works. If I can work harder, if I can do more, if I can do this or do that, no, no. Our holiness comes out of righteousness being planted and established in Christ Jesus. And out of that establishment and that, that tree that, that he calls me the tree of righteousness, I begin to produce fruit. And it is the fruit of holiness. 
Amen. It's the fruit of holiness. So if we try to produce fruit on our own ability, then it becomes legalism. But the fruit of holiness can only be produced from a tree of righteousness. Amen? Praise God. I want to be a tree of righteousness, don't you? I said I want to be a tree of righteousness. Producing holiness from my life. That men will see my good works and glorify the Father in heaven. I want to take the spirit of grace and not trample it under my feet, but I want it to use it so that it strengthens me that I overcome every temptation and every desire the enemy brings against me. That the distractions of this world fall pale in comparison to the revelation of truth that I know in my heart that God's grace, his spirit of grace is upon me, his righteousness is established in me, and as a result, his, his holiness is my fruit. Amen. Glory to God. Stand with me, if you will, this morning. <clears throat> 